Hello and welcome to the Life Church Audio Podcast. We hope that you find these messages encouraging, life-giving, and ultimately get you closer to Jesus. Enjoy the message. Hey Life Church, I'm so glad that you're joining us. We are entering into our Christmas season as Christians. Christianity is a world-changing thing. It doesn't just change us. It should change everything in our lives. If you are a Christian, it should change your relationships, it should change our families, it should change our communities, it should change our world that we live in, or at least it's supposed to. So so that's really, over the next few weeks, we have a series that's called Turn On The Light. And that's really what we're going to focus on over the next four weeks. What does it take to live out our Christian faith? Being a citizen of heaven, you are a citizen of a new kingdom. What does it mean to live the way that Jesus intended it for us to live? How are we supposed to live out our lives as Christ followers? Now, I want to introduce to you two truths um, that's going to guide us through this Christmas series. And the first thing is something that Jesus said, said himself about himself. When he spoke in John 8, 12, he said the following, I am the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world and whoever follows me never walk in darkness, but we'll have light, we'll have the light of life. So so that's what he's saying about himself. And this is what he's saying to us about darkness. He said, if you want to avoid darkness, follow me, do things my way. Choose to be a Christ follower. The second truth is something that Jesus said about, says about us. In Matthew 5, 14, he says the following. You are the light of the world. So Jesus just said in John, I am the light of the world. Now he's saying to you in Matthew, you are the light of the world. That's a little bit intimidating. He's the light of the world, but he said to his followers, you are the light of the world also. Which brings us to the theme for Christmas, which is turn on the light. Turn on the light. What does it mean to have the light, the light turned on? Now, this is not a light that we have in ourselves because that's really what the new age people believe. They believe they have this internal light that they can just turn on. The reality is the light that we have, we get from Jesus. He goes on in Matthew, he reads, it goes the following, he says, you are a light of the world, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl, instead they put it up on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Well, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I just want to read that last part again. Well, in the same way, let your light, which we get from Jesus, shine before others in such a way. I'm not going to walk in darkness because I'm going to follow his instructions. Let your light so shine before others that they may see your, they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we've been given a command that we're to make things brighter. We are to make things better. We've been given a command that that we're to drive back darkness. We're to drive back uncertainty, chaos, disunity, pain, depression. We are to drive back 
anxiety, confusion, isolation, anger, greed, lust, perversion. We've been given that command as followers of Jesus. That is, that's what we're supposed to do. Now, the bad news is, is that we have an enemy in this world and he's committed to keeping us from shining our light the way that God calls us to shine our light. God calls us to shine our light in a specific way. The good news is in 1 John 4, 4, it says, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, which also, which that should encourage us to shine his light and not ours. Because if I just shine my own light, the enemy will defeat that. But when I shine the light of Jesus, he's already defeated the enemy. He's greater than the enemy. Light always wins. It always beats our darkness every single time. And the devil knows it. And so his strategy is to feed us lies designed to keep us from shining. See, he can defeat light, but he can keep us from shining. And he manages to hold territory if the followers of Jesus don't shine their light appropriately. And today, we, we're going to do, what we're going to do is we, we're going to tackle one of the biggest lies I think Christians struggle with when it comes to being the light that Jesus says we are to be. Light is supposed to bring clarity, peace, and revelation. That is what light is supposed to bring. Light is supposed to, to bring and give us a a clear indication of where to walk and where to go. Light is not to be shunned directly in your eyes. Light that is used in an irritating or in a flicker, like a strobe-like manner, that light is not used the right way. We need wisdom and understanding about our lights and how we are to shine our lights also because I, I know this is a battle for many believers. We use our light inappropriately and at the wrong times and in the wrong manners. And instead of attracting people to God with the light that he says, the goodness of God, we are actually causing people to look in the other direction. And what we will do is we will cause people instead of wanting to move towards Jesus, where he says, if you follow my light, uh, there will be no darkness. You won't walk in darkness. They want nothing to do with them because we misuse the light. And when this happens, uh, I have found it's because we use the light that we have many times to bring about our agenda that has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven. It's our agenda. It's what we think and what we feel. And we do it then sometimes in a forceful and in an annoying way. Jesus never came with the intention to shine his light in your face so that you are blinded. He never came with the intention for you to be blinded by his awesomeness so that you can't see where you are going. His light was supposed to bring clarity and revelation. And that is what our light is supposed to do for those around us also. Jesus came and he used the light. He is the light in such a way that, that he brought clarity, he brought hope, humility, servant heart understanding. His light showed us sacrifice, but it also brought victory over darkness. And that is what we should desire to do with our light also. Please hear me, people. People are not the problem. Sin is the problem. Darkness and hopelessness that's the problem. And your light can bring a change. 
The light you have can bring victory, but we need wisdom. And we need to follow Jesus' example on how to use this light that we have, especially over this, this Christmas season, and especially during these times that we are all living in, with the uncertainty of the pandemic that's going on. We need to use our lights the right way, not forceful to bring about our agendas, but to bring about Jesus and God's goodness. In John 8, 12, this is our key scripture for the next few weeks. Now, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What we need to understand is that Jesus didn't come with that phrase. He didn't come up with that phrase in the spot. In, in John 8, it wasn't like Jesus was standing there. And said, you know, I'm going to say something really deep. I am the light of the world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Jesus didn't just come up in the moment. Oh, that's such a great thing to say. What Jesus said there about himself was actually something that was said about him 700 years before. And Jesus showed up and Jesus showed up and he says, listen, I'm going to reveal something to you. There's a prophetic word that was spoken 700 years before, and I am the fulfillment of that prophetic word. And what Jesus then actually is doing, he's pointing an arrow to Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah chapter 9 is pointing an arrow to Jesus. It's, it's like one of those cards you get in Kumon, Achnaten Kumon, in Uno, where you can change direction. And Isaiah is pointing to Jesus and Jesus is pointing to, to Isaiah. So let's read what it says in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. There we go, light and darkness. There's our key phrase, walking in darkness. Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. What Isaiah says here is, he's saying, he's talking about, about the coming of the Messiah. And he's just scratching the surface about everything that will point towards the Messiah. This is just the beginning part of this, this, this passage. He's predicting the coming of Christmas. What are we going to celebrate this in the next four weeks, over the next four weeks? The celebration of the birth of Christ. But he says a lot more than just he's going to be um, causing light so that those in darkness can, can, can walk in it. He's going to say way more than that. He goes on, he says, um, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. And warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Sound familiar? Yeah, I'm sure it does. Uh, it's, it's, it's our classic Christmas passage that we read every year. Isaiah says, hey, when the Messiah comes, it's going to be like this. When Jesus arrives, he says, that's me. What Isaiah was talking about, that's me. I am the light that Isaiah was talking about. I am the great light that has dawned. And those that were walking in darkness, they're going to be able to see the light. That's me. 
Now, we are familiar uh, with many readings over, over Christmas. We are familiar with the part that, that goes, wonderful counselor, uh, prince of peace. But in the middle of that passage, Isaiah said something really important about the coming of Jesus that most of us, we skim over because we don't understand it. And that's what he says in verse 4. He said the following, and, and I really want us to, to zone in on this. He says, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder, for as in the day of Midian's refeat. So the warriors were dividing the plunder as in the days of Midian's defeat. That is what, what it's going to be like when the Messiah is born. That is, it's going to resemble that. And if you're right now sitting there kind of looking around going, wait a minute, am I supposed to know what that means or what that looks like? I've got no idea. Most people probably won't know what it's referring to when he says, as in the days of Midias Rafid. What is Isaiah, Isaiah saying through this? Um, he's saying when the Messiah arrives, it's going to be like the days of Midian's defeat. Again, I, I want to say, I know many of you have no idea what he is talking about. So allow me to explain that to you and show you exactly what he means, what Christmas, the, the coming of the Messiah, what it was like. And we find that in Judges 7. So a, a fascinating story, fantastic story that happened to, to God's people. Judges 7 verse 1, it says, early in the morning, Jerubal, that's Gideon, and I just want to clarify right here in the beginning. There are many names here that are hard to pronounce. So if I mess them up, so be it. Okay, so uh, early in the morning, Jerubal, Gideon, and all of his men camped at the spring of Herod. Now the camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. There's the Midians that he's talking about in Isaiah. In the days of Midian, this is what he is referencing. Midian is one of the enemies of God's people. And they're about to go to war against the Israelites. The Midians and all their allies, they numbered about 135,000 soldiers, a lot of soldiers. The Israelites, on the other hand, they had about 32,000 soldiers. And those are not good odds. It's a four to one odd. And I don't know about you, but when I'm facing a situation that I feel like the odds are not in my favor, that's a really good time and a really good impulse to go pray. When I feel like, man, I can't handle this. I don't have what it takes. I'm going to go to God. And I know many of us do that. And I imagine Gideon went to God and he said, God, I don't know if you're watching, but it doesn't look good. There's four of them for every one of us. That's four to one odds. You're going to have to do something. Now, the way I would naturally play, pray if it was me, and I suspect Gideon probably prayed the same, was God, God, I need you to send me more men. I need you to give me more resources. I need you to give me more of what I need so that I can win this. I need you to do that. Or at the very least, God, I need you to reduce their resources. A plague would be great right about now. I'd be okay with an earthquake. Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. I'm okay with all of that. I don't really care what it is. But if you could just 
even the odds, just a little bit, that would be fantastic. God, if you can do that for me, your humble servant, I'd really appreciate that. Amen. And sometimes I pray, and, and I know sometimes you pray, and we wonder, I wonder if God's really listening. Now, Gideon had a really unique experience here because he goes to God with his prayer, and there's no question that God listens because God speaks. <laughs> and here's what God says to him. And the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. What? Wait, wait a minute. No, I think what you meant to say, God, was is that they have too many men. What do you mean? And God says, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me saying, my own strength have saved me. In other words, what God knows at some point, I think we understand that our strength is in our weakness. Because many times when we are so strong, it blinds us to our need for God. So when we face difficult circumstances with, with resources, especially when we face the difficult circumstances with enough resources that we think that we're going to be able to handle the circumstances, God kind of disappears from our view. We go, yeah, you know, I've got these resources. I'm strong enough for them. I'm smart enough for them. I have enough experience. You know, I, I have some wisdom. I got some people around me. I got enough money. I can deal. I can deal with this problem on my own. I kind of went through this with, with COVID. I got COVID very severely, for those of you who don't know. Um, on day three, I'm lying in bed. I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm, I'm healthy. I'm young. I'm 47 years old. I eat well. I exercise. I, have, I don't have stress or anxiety. I have no underlying condition. So day three, I'm lying in bed thinking, you know what? Um, I think tomorrow morning I'm going to get up and then I'm going to do a kitchen renovation and because I have to isolate for 10 days. So I've got some time to get the cabinets painted. And I'm thinking to my mind, everything that I'm going to do. The next day, my fever gets so bad that I can't open my eyes. And for the next 14 days, I am down. I'm out. Um, it's the worst experience of my life. Nothing I've ever gone through com can compare to what I experienced with this COVID experience. By day 14, um, my fever is between 104 and 106 and I'm lying in bed. And I get to this point where, where I realize my strength is not in my strength. My strength is not in my age or in my in my ability to exercise or eat healthy or no underlying conditions. And I repent and I, and I went and I said, God, I, I just want to repent for thinking that my strength is in me. You are the giver of life. You are the one that gives us our breath every single day. It's because of you that I am alive. And I want to repent and apologize for thinking that I am the one who determines if I live or die. It's you, Lord. And it's the same in circumstances like this, when we face circumstances where we have resources, we tend to, to depend so much upon ourselves and our own abilities that God disappears from the radar. Not because he's moved, but because we've moved our focus. And this is how they also expected Jesus when he was born, when he came as the Savior. When his disciples followed him, their first thought was that he was going to overthrow the government by force. They thought he was going to raise up an army and they're going to overthrow the Roman Empire with might and with power, a show of power and men. And God says, no. God says to Gideon, you have too many men. 
I'm not going to leave you blind to the real source of your strength, Gideon. The real source of your strength is me. Now, in verse 3, he says, Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left. 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. One by one, 22,000 men leave. They go from, from a 4 to 1 odd, which is basically impossible, to 14 to 1. So two-thirds of their strength, gone. Now it's one man for every 14. And so, so I'm sure Gideon goes, God, I, I think what you meant to happen was for the men to get excited because you spoke and they were going to be encouraged and just build up their strength and they're going to go for it. And I don't think your plan worked, God. Do, do you have a backup plan? Because two-thirds left. And he goes on, God says in verse 4, the Lord spoke again. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. What? Say what? There's still too many men. What are you talking about? He says, there's still too many men. Take them down to the river, to the water, and I'll thin them out for you. Oh, will you now? That's so nice. Thank you, God. Because I was thinking that we need more. That would be great if you could thin them out a little bit more. So God, God says to him, if I say, uh, this one shall go, with you he shall go, but if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go with you. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as dog laps, as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and the rest of them got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home. But he kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. And the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. So now you've got 300 men left. Now I want you to remember, the coming of the Messiah is like the days of Midian. Keep that in mind. So 300 men, God shedding their strength. We've gone from 4 to 1 odds to 14 to 1 odds. Now check the math on this. Now we have 450 to 1. Which I think we can all agree, this is not great odds. So it goes on. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp. Because I'm giving it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack. <laughs> now just think about this. 300 men. If you're afraid to attack with your 300 men. Go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. God says, if you're scared, feel free to go down to the camp and to listen to what they are saying. Listen to the conversation. Well, Gideon and his servant goes down, which means Gideon and his servant were afraid because God said, if you are afraid... Feel free to go and listen to what they're talking about. So they are afraid, which is, I think, normal. They're certainly afraid. So, so they, they went down to the camp, and, but they've got enough courage to go and listen. They at least have enough courage to take God up on his word and step into the camp. So it's a massive camp. You can just imagine 135,000 men, and it's just two of them. And they're able to, to kind of sneak in and they're able to listen to the conversation. And here is the very interesting conversation that they hear. 
In verse 12, the Midianites and the Amalekites and all of the other eastern people had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. That means there's a lot. Their camels could, could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore, which I think we can easily agree is a lot of camels. Gideon arrived just as the man was telling his friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Now, I think we can all agree that's a weird dream. It's weird. So, you know, it's evening, like the, the night before battle. And he's like, you know what? He's telling his friends, I had this really weird dream. I'm going to tell you about it. There was a big round loaf of bread. And this loaf of bread, it came rolling, I know. I know. That's weird. But what's even weirder is what his friend says to him regarding his dream, the interpretation of his dream. His friend responds, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Really? There's no other option. That's all it can be. That's the first place you go. We are all going to die because you saw rolling bread. We're done for. <laughs> this is what's so amazing. Gideon hears the stream and the interpretation. And this is just proof to him. It says in verse 15, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and he worshiped. And we returned to the camp of the Israelites and he called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands, dividing the 300 men into three companies. He placed trumpets and empty jars in their hands, all of them with torches inside of the empty jars. That's important to know. You need to pay attention to that. Um, what happens is they lit their torches, but they hid them inside jars, which is kind of funny. I used to sing a song, and I think most of you would know the song. The song's called, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Gonna Let It Shine, right? But then there's another verse. The other verse goes like this. Hide it under a bushel, and everybody would yell, usually in the kids' camps, No! Hide it under a bushel, No! I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, No! I never got what that was. I mean, what's a bushel? And why would you hide a lamp? under it well a bushel is basically a bowl it's a jar and literally what they're doing now is they've lit their torches and they are hiding it under a bushel they are hiding it inside a bowl inside a jar now, now, now watch what Gideon says Gideon told them follow my lead when I get to the edge of the camp do exactly as I do when I and all with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, shout the sword of the Lord and for Gideon. The sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. So this is the darkest part of night. They reached the edge, end of the camp. And, and what's interesting to me is, is they, he tells them, you're going to yell the sword of the Lord. But in their hands, they actually have a torch and a trumpet. Instead of weapons of war, they're actually fighting with 
light and are fighting with praise, sound in the darkest and the quietest part of night. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Mennonites ran crying out as they fled because you know when everything is dark and suddenly there's light, light um, is around you. We human beings struggle uh, to actually count if they just see a group of people, most of them can add up to 20. But the moment there's a hundred, most of us in our brains, we can't distinguish between is it a hundred or is it a thousand? So, so they see these lights around them. The enemy sees the light and suddenly they think there are thousands of them. And the noise that they are hearing and the shouting and the trumpets are going off and there's lights and they're waving them back and forth. And then what happens? There's panic in the camp. And the camp starts freaking out and they begin to run. Now, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So the strength of the enemy was turned on the enemy and they fled. 450 to 1 was the battle. 450 to 1. So in Isaiah 9 verse 4, when the Messiah comes... It will be as in the days of Midian's defeat. For in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. When the Messiah comes, he says, it's going to be like the days of Midian's defeat. That's Christmas. That's what we celebrate. The birth of the Savior, it's going to be like the days of Midian's defeat. God didn't rescue us with a mighty show of power. God didn't rescue us by suddenly demonstrating how mighty he was with a big blast of light from heaven and choir singing all over the place. That's not Christmas. God left heaven. I mean, the King of Kings, the King of the universe left heaven. He left the place of heaven to be born in a barn. That's not a show of strength or of might. That's not a flashing light in the eyes. That's a shedding of strength. He left moment by moment worship by archangels, beings with such incredible power that you and I can't even begin to imagine. Like if we saw an archangel, our natural temptation would be to bow down and to worship them. And yet Jesus enjoyed moment by moment their worship. He left all of that to be greeted first by shepherds, the lowest of the low, born in a stable, he left all of that to live a life of humility. Instead of being served, he served. One of his favorite statements is he said, For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That's not a show of strength. That's a shedding of strength. It's a laying aside. He lived the perfect life without no sin, that he may pay for us with his death. They beat him, they battered him, they nailed him to a cross. But when the cross was raised up, he was hanging on there. He has the ability to change the whole world, but he chose to lay down that might and that power. And on his shoulders, he bore our sins. Every wrong we've ever done and the consequence. He paid through a demonstration of weakness 
That's Christmas. God has defeated our enemy, not with a show of strength, not with a shedding of strength. As in the days of Midian's defeat, a great light has dawned. That's the Christmas story. See, we think as church and as believers, I'm going to finish with this. We think that the way that we are going to overcome the current situations and circumstances and things that's surrounding us is if we rise up and march up and show our strength and bulge our fist and yell really loud and tell people how wrong they are. We think that's how we're going to change and impact this world. And it is not. As in the day of Midian, that's how we are supposed to approach our current difficulties and circumstances that we are going through. We have to understand that we have a God that's going to lead us and steer us. If we pray, He will give us direction on how to shine our light. Not in a blinding, offensive way, but in a way that will lead people out of darkness. And church, I implore you, I ask you, I plead of you, do not let your light be an irritation for the world. Rather, let it be something that leads them towards life. This Christmas, you have an opportunity to allow that light that is in you, that is Jesus Christ, to be a spark in somebody else's life. There are many opportunities. You can make use of our pie campaign that we use in our community. Pick up some pies after service. Go and bless a home. Take the pie to any home and just write a note to say, this Christmas, I want you to know that you are loved and that you are cared for. Merry Christmas. Join us for the service. You can have your light shine in your home and in your family. Say to your wife when you walk past her, hey man, I'm so glad that I married you. You are awesome. You are beautiful. Tell your children that you are proud of them. Reach out to a neighbor. Let them know that they are loved. Let our lights shine not as a weapon, but let our lights so shine that the world can see God's goodness. Jesus showed up not with, with a show of might and power because then we don't serve him because we love Him. Then we serve Him because we fear Him. And God doesn't want us to fear Him. He wants us to love Him. So I hope that this is just the introduction. I hope that, that you catch the heart behind turning on your light, the light, the light of Jesus in you. And I hope you will join us because we have to reach the world. We have to. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank you for the instructions in your word. Father, I pray that we will shine our light the way you've called us to shine it. And that we won't use it for our own personal agendas or offenses or whatever we want to use it for, but that we'll use it for your kingdom's sake, which is to show people, point people towards your goodness and towards your love for them. Thank you that you've given us examples in your word on how to live. Let us do that. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen, everybody. Have a wonderful Christmas season and let your light so shine that the world can see God's goodness. Thank you for watching. Thank you so much for joining us on the Life Church audio podcast. If this message spoke to you, go ahead and share it with your friends and family. And let's get the Word of God into the lives of more people out there. For more information about us, go to thisislifechurch.com. And remember that we can make a difference by loving people.